0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. I really love that song. It reminds us of something that we really need to be doing, which is beholding God. You know, life, troubles, problems can become really big in our mind, bigger than they really are. And the only way to get those things in the right perspective is to put them in the light of God. To see who God is, that we might see everything else correctly. Today is going to begin for us a series of sermons in Jeremiah, something we hadn't done in a while. We've been doing kind of one, dropping in, doing one sermon for a book of the Bible through the Old Testament as we read through it together. By the way, if you're not on that Bible reading plan and would like to get on it, uh, there's some Bible reading plans in the back table right here where the lamp is inside the sanctuary. You can also go to our website for those watching on Facebook. Go to fbckennedy.org Bible. You'll find a plan there you can download. And so today begins the first of six, I think, maybe seven sermons through Jeremiah, which is called, um, in the. it's a prophetic book. It's uh, called A Major Prophet because it's long. And this is taking place at the end of of uh, judah's time as a country they're about to be taken over by babylon last week we talked about how isaiah had prophesied that that was going to come well jeremiah lived it and before they experienced the downfall of judah and the destruction of jerusalem um, god gave this warning through jeremiah and of course the people had a hard time listening or chose not to listen and so god says listen i want you to go to church I want you to go to the temple. I want you to stand at the gates of the temple and deliver my message. And that's what we're going to read today, Jeremiah chapter 7. It's known as the temple sermon. And uh, it made Jeremiah very unpopular. (laughs) So keep that in mind as we read this together. We're just going to read the first 11 verses of Jeremiah chapter 7. It begins with this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly. If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to, turn, uh, gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in this land. The land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has the house of the Lord, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching you, declares the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Could you see why that might make Jeremiah a little unpopular? Uh, today, we do have Kingdom Kids. So, children are, this is their opportunity to head out. Those who are four years old through second grade are going to meet over here with the Kingdom Kids workers. Watch out, Matthew. Almost got trampled there, buddy. <laughs> this is how much fun they have. Not as much fun as we're going to have, don't worry. But they're going to have a good time together. Uh, let me make one quick announcement and then we'll pray and jump into Jeremiah. Not that we haven't had enough already, but I just want to remind you men in the church, we do have a men's conference coming up November 11th and 12th. It's going to be hosted at Zephyr Baptist Encampment. And if you are interested in attending that conference, it's a Friday night through half of Saturday. We'll head back after lunch. It's going. We're going to be learning about what it means to lead ourselves in the Lord, what it means to lead in our homes and in our churches And it's going to be a great experience. We're partnering with First Baptist Orange Grove, and we're inviting many other churches to be a part of that. And so if you're interested in that, it doesn't commit you to anything, but if you would, just send me a text message. uh, And let me know that you're interested in the men's conference. You can find my cell phone number on the back of the bulletin. Just shoot me a text, and I'll get you the rest of the information, uh, because it's not quite in the bulletin yet. Because we've got a little ways to go, but... Uh, let's see, set, October 30th is the deadline to register. So let me know and we'll get you, get you signed up for it, okay? All right, y'all. Let's pray and take a look at Jeremiah's message to the folks of Judah. Let's pray together. Father God, what a beautiful Sunday we've had together so far. Just grateful for the time of worship, the time of um, God sharing. So, so glad to have the Joukowskis with us and get to hear how their family's doing and the ministry you've called them to and you follow we pray blessings on them. And we're thankful uh, just for the recognition from our church family and and the support we have from them to do the ministry you've called us to do, which is to help them do the ministry you've called them to do. And so, God, we give thanks for that. And we we give thanks for being able to sing together, to lift up our voices together, to lift up our eyes together. and, And as we sang, Behold You, to look at your great grace shown to us in Jesus, to be reminded of your power, your might. And yet you are concerned for us. You knew what every one of us was dealing with when we walked through the doors today. Nothing escapes you. And you care for us. And God, we are so grateful for that. And God, we come to this time to examine your word. And, and we know it's your word. You have inspired people to put pen to paper and deliver this to us through the, through the millennia. And God, we are so grateful for that, that you speak to us. You want to communicate with us. And here you have done so through the scriptures And God, we know that you also give us the Holy Spirit to help us understand what we read and that your Holy Spirit will impress upon us what you would have us to do with what we read. This is what we ask that you would speak, that you would change us and help us to be more like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. How how bad would you have to be for God to say to your pastor or your minister, Do not pray for that person. How bad would you have to be for God to say, Don't even don't even try it. Don't even try. Believe it or not, Judah was so bad off at this point in their history. Again, Israel the northern kingdom the the entire kingdom of of Israel had been divided between northern and kingdom the northern and southern kingdom become fractured the northern kingdom's already been taken over now the southern kingdom is right at the doorstep they're about 40 years away from being destroyed by Babylon and being overtaken and sent out into exile and so they're bad off Judah is. And in Judah is the city of Jerusalem where the temple is. And that's where Jeremiah, who was a priest, called into being a prophet. That's where God called him to bring this message. And he says to Jeremiah, all the things that he's predicted, are, you know, destruction's coming. It's gonna be bad. You're gonna be gone far longer than you imagine. It's not gonna take you, like some folks are saying, a few years, you're gonna be gone 70 years. You would think Jeremiah would be chomping at the bit to pray for God's people. And you think God would say, yes, pray for them, but that's not what happens. I didn't read it yet. I'm going to read it to you now. But if you look at verse 16 of chapter 7 of Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. How bad do you have to be that God would tell your minister, your pastor, the prophet and priest of Judah, don't even pray for those folks? That's how bad off they were. Now, what what was going on? you have to excuse me. I got a bit of a cough. What was going on? What was so terrible that Judah was doing that they were not even to be prayed for by Jeremiah? Some of you know this story. Uh... Jesus' ministry became very popular and there were those who were in the religious elite of the time that wanted to trip Jesus up. They didn't want Jesus to have all these followers. And so they would try to trick Jesus with questions. And in Matthew 22, one of the sect of this religious elite called the Sadducees uh, had been silenced by Jesus, the Word of God says. He was able to deal easily with with their trickery and their hard questions. And so another sect of the religious elite called the Pharisees, they got together. And one of them, who was an expert in the law, the Scripture says, tested him with this question. Now this is Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Here's the question they put to Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's coming straight from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Then in verse 38, Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And he gives them a bonus answer. In verse 39, he says, and this is the second, and it is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, which comes out of Leviticus 19, 18. And then Jesus closes this conversation with these people who are trying to trip him up by saying, all the law and the prophets, Jeremiah being one of them, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you ever want to know what does God expect of you and me, this is the easiest way to answer the question, and it is extremely accurate based on what Jesus said. Love God, love people. Love the Lord your God and love people just as you love yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. You can fit all the other commandments. The reason this was a bit of a trickery on behalf of the Pharisees is because there were were hundreds of commandments. And on top of those hundreds of commandments, they came up with even more commandments that God didn't even ask them not to do or to do. And they came up with an even more longer list of things. That was the trick in the whole situation. But Jesus answers very clearly. Love God. Love people. What was going on in Judah that was so bad that God would say, don't even pray for them, is that they were failing mightily at the two most fundamental commandments that we find in the word of God. They were not loving God. And they were not loving people. They were not loving, Jeremiah starts with, or the Lord starts through Jeremiah, with how they did not love one another. We read in verse 5 about How they were not dealing justly with each other. How they were oppressing the foreigner in their land. How they were oppressing the fatherless and the widows. How they were shedding innocent blood in in chapter 7 verse 6. And then in verse 9 of chapter 7, how they were given to stealing and to murder and to perjury. They were not loving other people. And when we don't love other people, it often if not always, comes because we're not loving God. And so their lack of love for God spilled out on their lack of love for one another. But we also see that they did not love God. Halfway through chapter 7, verse 6 of Jeremiah, we read that they're following other gods, that they burn incense to Baal. And then we read, we didn't read it now, but I'll read it to you at this time, chapter 7, verse 17 through 19. God says, "Do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the father lights the fire, and the woman kneads the dough and makes cakes to offer to the queen of heaven." Which was would have been the name of that queen would have been Ishtar, its false god. God is saying, "You have not loved people, and here you say you love me, but you're worshipping all of these false gods." Now what's incredible is that Jeremiah gives them this hard message and yet God waits to bring the judgment. God gives them 40 years to repent even though he knew they wouldn't. Why does God give them time to repent? Well we see this in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 we read, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, whether it's the promise that Christ would return, which is the context here, or the promise of judgment that is to come, which coincides with Christ's return. He says, instead, he is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God gives them time to turn things around, but he also knew their history. If you continue in chapter 7, Starting in verse 21, I won't read all of this, but he lays out for the people, this is your ancestry. This is what your fathers and your forefathers have done before you. They heard my warnings and they ignored me. They heard what I told them to do, what I told them not to do. And the phrase that is used several times is they did not listen or pay attention. Verses 24 and 26 and 27. They did not listen to God then, they did not pay attention to God then, they're not gonna do it now. Now you may ask why. That's what I would wonder. They they know what happened before, they know the destruction that's coming, right? It kind of reminds me of, of a of a kid that you know sticks their finger in a socket. I remember doing that as a kid. My mother told me, don't do that. But I found a pair of tweezers and I noticed. That those tweezers are perfectly sized to slide right into an electrical socket? And, of course, you know, I'm sure my mother had told me, don't do that. Is that Sarah said, that's why you don't have any hair. This is a long time ago. This wasn't recent, y'all. Just relax. This wasn't the this wasn't last, you know, last time I was home. This was a while ago. But I was a kid, and I stuck them in there, you know. It was shocking, to say the least. <laughs> uh, that was a dad joke. I'm sorry. I am a dad. I got to tell a dad joke every once in a while. And you think, don't do that. That's dumb. You're going to get hurt. You're just going to hurt yourself. And that's what God's saying. He says that twice. You're only harming yourself by doing these things. So the question has to be, why? Now, now I was a child. I can chalk that up to, you know, brain development issues, okay? Which I may still have, but probably because of that incident. But but these were adults. These are faithful. You know, these are followers of God. They... They knew what was up. They knew what God expected. And they knew their history. They knew where they were coming from. How could they make such a mistake? And how could they double down on that mistake by now not listening to Jeremiah? Here's how because they say, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah uses that phrase for emphasis saying, you folks believe because you have the temple in your city of Jerusalem and because you go there, that we're square. That everything between God and his people are totally fine because they have the temple and what do they do? They go to the temple. and What do they do at the temple? They offer sacrifices. They pray. They read scripture. I would imagine they even sing some songs over there. What are they doing at the temple? They're worshiping God. So God's people says, Jeremiah, there's is, is no destruction coming. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that happened to the north. That happened to Israel up north. But we're Judah. We have Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is the temple of God. God is not going to let anything happen to us. And so they would show up to temple to worship. And then we go home and they would worship their idols. They would show up to pray and to give and to study scripture. And they would go home and they would mistreat their neighbor. And they thought that by being in the temple, having the temple, it assured them that they were safe. You may have caught it, the last verse that I read. God says through Jeremiah, has this house, which bears my name, become a a den of robbers to you? Now, some of you that have gone to Sunday school, maybe been in church for a while, read through the Bible, you heard that, didn't you? And you thought, wait a second, didn't Jesus say that? Didn't Jesus say that to the religious folks at the temple? Hundreds of years later, yes, he did what they didn't learn, their kids didn't learn, and their kids' kids didn't learn, their kids' kids' kids didn't learn, Then, no matter how religious you may seem to be, no matter your church attendance, no matter your giving record, no matter how many of hours of service you may put in to serve others, if you do not love God genuinely, if you do not love others genuinely, and let me just say, it's easy to fool me. It's easy to fool the people in the pew next to you unless they live with you. Then it gets much more difficult. But it's easy to fool people. But God says, I'm watching. That's kind of a frightening thing. Like when you read it's like, oh, yikes. So God's watching like all the time or just some of the time. Is there like a way to turn that on and off, you know, God watching? Like I would like for God to watch. When I give money or buy food for a person in need. I'd like for God to watch that. I'd like for God to watch when I clap in the worship service and raise my hands to the praise songs. I want God to watch when I write that tithe check. I want God's eyes on me when I'm doing those things. But God says, no, 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 I'm watching all the time. I see everything. So we may be able to trick each other, but we cannot fool God. God knows. He knows the condition of our heart. He knows when it is just outward religiosity. He knows when we're just going through the motions. He knows when we're kind to someone because we're hoping they'll be kind to us. He knows when we give so that we might get credit. He knows that we serve because someone may notice. He sees that. He doesn't just see what we do. He sees why we do it. And he saw his own people gathering to worship. And yet they had these foreign gods. Why? Why would they have God, the Lord Most High, and worship these foreign gods? Because they're trying to manipulate a religious system. If I do these things, God has to be on my side. Kind of reminds you of the story of the the prodigal son who had an older brother. And the older brother gets mad at the father because the father's not giving him what he wants. And when he says, I have done everything for you. And that's what these folks are doing. They're trying to manipulate God into God being on their side. And if, if you can get Yahweh God on your side, which is Israel's God, great. But if you can get Baal God on your side, great. Ishtar God on your side, great. We'll just manipulate this whole religious landscape so that we can get as many gods on our side so that we can have success. Jeremiah says God sees it. Other people may not see it. But God sees it. He sees not just what you do. He sees why you do it. Now, if I was Jeremiah and I, and I had been given this task and I knew it's not going to go well, it's going to end poorly. you got to understand, Jeremiah, this is his home. Jerusalem, Judea, this is his home. And he knows that destruction is coming to his home. And he sees all these people just totally ignoring him. Even, you know, it gets into the story a little bit more. They try to kill him because of his message. I would be so furious with my own people. I would just want to rain down so hard on them. What are you doing? This is our city. This is the temple. Why are you testing God this way? We've got to get it together, people. I would be so angry. But you know, Jeremiah is not known for being angry. You know what he's known for? Some of you you may have heard this term applied to him. He's known as the weeping prophet. Rather than rage, he sheds tears. Just a chapter later in verse 18 of chapter 8, we read, You who are my comforter in sorrow, he's praying to God, my heart is faint within me. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Oh, that my head were a spring of water. Chapter 9, verse 1. And my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. He would have every right to be angry at them for what they are doing to his town, his country, his God. But instead he weeps for them. I don't know that I ever picked up on this until I was studying uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. I know the story, but I didn't realize this was in there. There is a moment in Jesus' ministry where he is on like a field trip of sorts to Caesarea. And they're having a conversation about Jesus. Jesus brings up the question, Who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a way that Jesus liked to refer to himself. And in Matthew chapter 16, middle of verse 13, he asks that question. Who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's got his disciples there. His disciples, they reply. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah. I remember that part. But did you know he also says, and still others Jeremiah? I, I really forgot that was in there, to be honest with you. Or perhaps one of the other prophets. Now what was it about Jeremiah that they would have remembered? Now there is no doubt Jeremiah had a hard message for his people. Now that message came from God. But he has a hard message for his people. And in fact if you go and read some of the words Jesus says to his people. He has a hard message. For those who are leaning really into their religious observance in order to be right with God. And after Jesus gives one of those hard messages, what does he say? We know Jeremiah wept for the city of Jerusalem, but did you know Jesus did too? Jesus gave a hard message to the people of Jerusalem. And then we read these words in Luke 13, 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. I think that's why Jesus was known possibly as Jeremiah. Of course he's not. He's the son of God. When people saw him, they saw something there. Something about Jesus' difficult message to the people, and yet Jesus' soft heart that he would even weep for them. That describes Jeremiah. Now here's the difficult thing. You and I could probably easily think of someone who's a hypocrite. Someone who says they're a Christian and acts nothing like it. But I want to ask you to do a hard thing. Put that person out of your mind. Put those people out of your mind. God, You won't stand before God and have to give an account for their life. I want to ask you to do something else. I want to ask you to hold up that mirror to yourself and say, Am I the hypocrite? Am I the one that tries to check all the religious boxes and expects that therefore I'm on God's side? That me and God are good because I've done all these religious things. And I want to send you to Psalm 139, 23, 23 through 24 as a way to pray this as we inch closer to our invitation. The psalmist here says these words, and I would hope that they may be your words as we come to a time of response. The psalmist says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, the way we are made right with God is not by our religious activity. It is by trusting in Jesus. That's how we're made right with God. And it's worth asking, God, am I trying to make myself right with you by the religious stuff I do? Am I really trusting in Jesus to put me on that way that leads to everlasting life? Where am I with you, God? Show me, God. Show me where I stand with you. If you stand in the presence of Jesus, here's what happens. So when you know how much God loves you, that he would give his son for you, when you know that, Not just intellectually, but when it warms your heart, when it changes you, when the love of God through Christ changes you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to love him back. Sure, not perfectly. But you're going to love him back. You know what else is going to happen? You're going to love other people. Because you realize God sent Jesus to die for me and for that person I don't like. God loved me that way. It's changed my life. I, I have to love them with grace just as God loves me. They needed to hear a word of judgment. Sometimes we do too. We need to know that the weight of sin is heavy. And we can't lift it up off ourselves. But God provided a way to do that through Christ. And when he did that, he is showing us his love for us. And when we see the love of God, we can avoid the mistakes that... Jeremiah's Jerusalem and Judea were making and not loving God and not loving people. But see, it doesn't begin with trying harder to love God and to love people. That's not where it starts. Where it starts is realizing the love of God, beholding the love of God in Christ. And when you see it and your heart is changed, you will love God and you will love others. And Jeremiah 7 becomes a sermon you don't need to hear anymore. Because you don't show up to church to check a box. You don't read the Bible to try to get on God's good side. You don't pray just to get what you want out of it. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a child of God. And through his love, you and I are changed. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you would not hold back harsh words from time to time because we need to hear it. We need to be reminded that you are a holy God and we are not a holy people outside of Jesus. God, whatever correction we need in our hearts, God, I pray that we would just be seeking you, looking in that mirror, praying Psalm 139, 23, and 24, search me, search me, search me. We'd be asking, inviting you to look deep within us and we might see what needs to be different in our life with you. For those who may come to that understanding that there is no life with you, will they know that faith in Jesus is where we can stand to be right. That's our ground that we stand on, is at the foot of the cross. And there we know we are loved, Beyond measure. And because we are loved beyond measure, we can love you and love others. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, again, Psalm 139 is a great place to pray. I would invite you to pray that during this time of invitation. You're welcome to sing along as well. And if you need prayer, feel free to come forward and pray as we have this time to just respond to the Lord. Would you stand with me? I'll be down.